doctrines that will help us to have that Christian worldview. Last week, we introduced the subject by talking about the Bible, and I'm going to also today. Last week, we looked at the word revelation, which is the giving of truth. We looked at how do we get our Bibles? Today, I want to complete the mini-series on the Bible by talking about two more words, inspiration and illumination. Inspiration answers the question, how do we know that the Bible is true? This quote by Norman Geisler, I think, is really helpful. Inspiration does not simply mean that the writer felt enthusiastic, like Handel did composing the Messiah, nor does it mean that the writings are necessarily inspiring, like an uplifting poem. As a process, it refers to the writers in the writings being controlled by God. As a product, it refers to the writings only as documents that are God's message. Why is this important? Because it helps me have more confidence in my Bible that I know it's not just the ideas of men, but God. I can trust the Bible above my feelings. I can trust the Bible among the opinions of my peers and certainly over my culture. The word inspired literally means God breathed. We get that from 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. In other words, God wrote the Bible. He used human beings to pen it. 2 Peter 1.20 and 21 Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I really like that imagery of being carried along by the Holy Spirit. I want you to picture a boat, a sailboat. And so in the sailboat, the wind catches the sails And the boat is carried along by the wind. So that's the idea that God breathed on the writers of Scripture to write down exactly what he wanted. He didn't use them externally only like they were robots or he put them in a trance. And so in this trance like state, they wrote down what he wanted. He moved on them internally to produce a word that would last eternally. He used their own individual personalities and their vocabulary skills. You know that from reading the Bible. Isaiah reads differently than Romans. And even within the Gospels themselves, John is a little bit different than Luke. John's Gospel is very simple, basic Greek. Whereas Luke's Greek in his Gospel and in the book of Acts, it's more complex. And the writer to the Hebrews is more complex yet. So God used these individual people to write exactly what he wanted them to write. That means God's the author, not men. Acts 1.16 says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So that means that the words God speaks and the words of scripture are synonymous. The Bible doesn't just contain God's word. It is God's word. 
Romans 9, 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh. So we know God spoke to Pharaoh, but it says for the scripture says to Pharaoh. For this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So let me ask this question. Can the Bible be wrong? Humans err, after all. We're all perfectly aware of that. But then let me ask this question. Is it possible to do something error free? It is. It is possible. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the Bible is inerrant without error in the original documents. It's also infallible, which is the quality of being neither misleading or misled. It is safe, sure, reliable when properly interpreted. It is a perfect book. Psalm 18, 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Two more words I want to give that help round out our definition of inspiration. And that's the word verbal. It's verbal inspiration of scripture. God inspired the words of scripture, not just the ideas or concepts. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus' whole explanation here hinges on the present tense of the verb of being. I am the God of Abraham because he's alive. It doesn't say I was the God of Abraham while he was alive on the earth. That's saying that Abraham is alive. And Isaac's alive and Jacob's alive. It all comes down to the tense of the verb am. Galatians three sixteen. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So Paul's whole argument boils down to the singular versus the plural. That's one little letter, the letter S. In the English, that's what I mean by verbal inspiration. The very words, whether singular or plural, have been inspired by God. Plenary inspiration, that means full. God inspired all of Scripture, not just part of Scripture. Revelation 22 18 and 19 tells us, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. We mustn't add or take away one word from God's holy word. We see that in Jeremiah 26, 2. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. What I found that critics who dispute the correctness of the Bible, its accuracy, really just don't understand what the Bible is. That it's a book from God. And their arguments can be easily answered. 
Uh, a go-to book for me over the years has been Gleason Archer's Encyclopedia of Biblical Difficulties. That's a great resource for helping you defend the faith. So whenever there's a conflict between how I feel and what the Bible says or the opinions of others, the Bible is always right. I may not always like what it says, but it's accurate in what it says. That means that inspiration of the Bible is authoritative. It's the final authority for all life and practice. It determines how we are to live. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And so since God's word is the inspired word of God, I come to it humbly. I respond to it with awe, with delight, with joy, with reverence, with worship. I want to get into God's word to know him better because it's him speaking to me. Now, let's look at the word illumination, which is the understanding of Scripture. How I understand the Bible is that word illumination. Now, I want to read a verse that wasn't even in my text for my sermon, but I was just reading it late this week in my quiet time. And it's 2 Corinthians 1.13, where Paul says to the Corinthians, we don't write to you anything you can't read or understand. So we can understand the scripture. Yet you hear people say it's too complicated. I can't understand it. I give up. Uh, the reformers talked about the words perspicuity. That word means it's clear and essential doctrines. So let me break it down. We bad. God mad. We glad because of the cross. Or Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's very clear. I don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure that out. The most important things that are found in the scripture about who Christ is, our salvation, have been made clear. But I want to share something if you want to dig in deeper and be a student of the word of God. I want to share with you ten principles for interpreting the Bible that I think are sound and, and good, a good framework for you as you dig into the word. You may say, well, I can't do all those things. Well, I want you in the Bible every day reading it. All right. The Holy Spirit will make it alive and clear to you what you need to know. But if you want to dig in a little deeper, I think these 10 principles will help you. Number one, saving faith and the Holy Spirit are essential for us to be able to interpret the Bible. Saving faith in the Holy Spirit. The non-Christian cannot understand God's word fully. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 2. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Before I was saved, I would occasionally open the Bible and look at it, and I couldn't make any sense of it. It was like it was written in a foreign language. But after I was saved and I opened the Bible, I knew there was a distinct difference because the Holy Spirit was now in me, helping my mind understand and grasp the truths. The light went on. The light bulb went on above my head. Thanks to the Holy Spirit. Second principle, we work from the assumption that the Bible is authoritative. We, we don't come to it skeptical and cynical. We come to it as it is, the word of God, and it has something to say to me. Like the man who went to the art museum and the guide was leading him around and he would say, oh, I don't like that. And that's, that's bad in that piece of art. And the guide stopped and said to him, sir, these are works of art and they've been acknowledged as such for centuries. We don't judge them. They judge us. Luther said the Bible isn't a wax nose. That we can bend and shape however we want. I look at it. There's one correct interpretation. And many applications of the truth. Lots of different ways to interpret. This is my body. And Christians over the centuries have have come to that understanding in different ways. But they're all coming to it with a sense of this is authoritative. This is the word of God. And I'm trying to understand it the best I can with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we give grace to our other believers in Christ, Christian brothers and sisters in different traditions. Third principle, the purpose of Bible study is life transformation, not knowledge accumulation. First Corinthians 13, two, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Bible study isn't about how much you read, how much you know more than everybody else. It's how much it changes your life. Reading the word is for character development. My maturation as a Christian to display the fruit of the spirit in my life. That's the goal. Not just a lot of head knowledge. Principle number four. Understand personal experiences in light of Scripture and not vice versa. So I bring my personal experiences in life to the Scripture. I don't bring the Scripture to my personal experiences. So I had an experience before I was saved, and I've told you about it, seeing four spiritual beings, four angels. And about a month later, I got saved. And so it was really neat to read in the Bible about people who did have experiences or encounters seeing a a heavenly being. And I could know that, okay, what I experienced was biblical, but I can't bring that expectation and experience of mine on everyone else. Oh, if if you don't have a heavenly vision, then you can't be saved. You have to have that first and then salvation. See, that would be bringing my experience into the word of God. We don't do that. We all, though, bring our worldview and our theological bent to Scripture. I think we need to be aware of that. Yes, I'm I'm bringing my preconceived ideas already to the Bible rather than just come to it with an open mind and an open heart and and let the Scripture speak to you. you. You may wind up changing 
your views on something because God has spoken to you through the scripture. Number five. Scripture best explains scripture. That's the simple principle of let the Bible interpret itself. Do cross reference studies. Let me give you an example of this. Just a verse out of the book of Revelation 116 says in his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And you think, wow, seven stars. What does that mean? The book of Revelation is notoriously difficult to interpret because it's so highly symbolic. And I'm doing a, a verse by verse study through the book of Revelation on our church's YouTube channel. So if you're interested in listening to that, go to Hanover Friends YouTube channel and follow along with me as I'm doing that. And we always send a link to your email also. But Revelation 120 gives us the answer. What is the seven stars? I only have to go a few more verses. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the Bible interprets itself. I don't have to try to you know, scratch my head and say, uh, maybe I can just make up something. Let the Bible interpret itself. Number six, understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. It's called progressive revelation. God gave more clarity and insight as time passed. Take the idea of resurrection. To us as New Testament Christians, that's pretty clear what that is. In the Old Testament, I can only think of two places where that word or idea occurs. In the book of Job and once in the book of Daniel mentions resurrection. It's just not developed in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus rose from the dead. The essential doctrine of Christianity is the idea of the resurrection. But the Old Testament believers didn't have that concept very developed. So we, we interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Number seven, understand unclear passages in light of clear passages. So you're stumped by something unclear in Scripture and there, it's there. You're doing further biblical study in other books that, that something clearer is spoken on that matter. That will give you understanding. But you may come to the conclusion, wow, this is still remaining unclear to me. That's okay. Salvation is very clear. What you really need to know is clear. Number eight, understand historical passages in light of doctrinal ones. Understand historical passages in light of doctrinal ones. Example would be the Gospels, the cross of Christ. What does that mean? The Gospels themselves don't develop the meaning of the cross very deeply. Uh, Mark 1045, for even the Son of Man came to be served, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's about as developed as the Gospels talk about the cross. It, it, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross and die. But it isn't until we get to the epistles, the writings of Paul particularly, but the other epistle writers, that it's developed in much more detail and we understand the significance of the cross more. Number nine, understand verses and words in their context. 
So that means the, the passage is around it. The context is, is the verses around it. This is the most common mistake interpreters make. They pull something out of context, away from the verses around it. So when I'm reading something in Scripture and it particularly jumps out at me and I try to understand what it means, I want to look at the verses before it and after it, within the same paragraph, within the same chapter, within the same book or, or by that same author. Other things he's written will help me understand it. Then I'll, I'll branch out to parallel passages by different authors. Then I'll look into the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about this? There's a foundation of a lot of the New Testament scripture in the Old Testament. So don't forget to look there as well. I know we all have our favorite verses that sometimes we can pull out of context. Like Jeremiah 29, 11 is a great one. God knows the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a good future and all that stuff. The context is it was the people of Israel been taken captive by the Babylonians and they're in Babylonian captivity. Right. It's specifically for them. So if you want to pull that verse out of context, say, oh, God says, I'm going to be prosperous and healthy and wealthy and happy all the days of my life. Well, then go to Babylon first and then it'll apply to you. You get what I'm saying? Don't just yank things out of context. Read it within the passage it's contained in. Tenth principle. Last one. Understand words in light of the meaning, their meaning in the time of the author. Words can change their meanings and ideas from 21st century English to maybe first century Greek. That's where a good study Bible or good online resources will help you to know the culture and the time frame of which the writer's writing. I want to close with two more big words that I think it's good to know. Exegesis. That word means to take out of. So that's when I come to the to the word as a serious student of the Bible. I, I want to take out from the scripture. What was the original intent of the author? What did he mean to say to the original audience? Before I decide, what does he mean to say to me? Because I want to understand what he meant for them. Then I can understand what he means for me. Eisegesis is reading into the text, putting my own thoughts and ideas into the text. So avoid that. Exegesis is the good one. Eisegesis, not so good. And the last thing I do when I come to the scripture is, what is this saying to me? God, what are you speaking to me? I want to hear your word to me. And, he, and every day when I open God's word, there's always something there that's personal for me. I may have to ask the who, what, when, where, why, how questions to, to help, you know, dig it out a little more. But he always has something to say to us. So if you say, well, I don't know if I can really do all 10 of these things. I would just say for, as a pastoral word to you, just get in God's word and say, Holy Spirit, open up something to me today. That's living and alive that you want me to apply to my life. Lord, thank you for your word, your holy word. It truly is the word of God. And we stand in awe of you. And we're so thankful for your word that, that shows us and tells us who you are and describes what you love and what you hate. Lord, we want to do what pleases you. So help us to be in your word. Give us understanding. 
an illumination as we open its pages. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and to our minds every time we open your word that we would discern what you're speaking to us. Thank you, Lord God, for your Bible today. In Jesus' name, amen.